Hello, it's Wednesday, October 8th, 2008, and you're listening to Flipped Out. Flipped Out is a podcast about the art, the culture, and the madness of Austin, Texas, and its burn community. I'm your host, Lance Hunter. Let's begin. Hello, all. This week, I've got something extra special for you. See, back in early August, I got to sit down at Cafe Mundi with the one and only Watermelon. Watermelon is a vocalist, a DJ, a former Miss Flipside, one of the primary forces shaping our very successful sound policy in 2008, the head of our sound marshal force that year, and of course, an all-around winner. We discuss sound at Flipside, how attending burn events shapes the art you create in the outside world, why people always seem to hate on the ravers, and uh, why we're winning. So now, my interview with Watermelon. Sitting here at Cafe Mundi with, uh, who the hell are you? I'm Watermelon. Watermelon, fantastic. Uh, and Watermelon, aside from being a fantastic uh, musician, artist in that regard, was also the sound lead for Flipside 2008. Um, so let's start with that, sound. Flipside, what? what, what? Well, um, Why was there a sound lead and what did you do? Well, I actually took on the title of Chief Sound Marshal this year. It will be a little different next year, but that's what it was this year. Um, but that rose because we got so many sound, we got some pretty crucial sound complaints in 2007 from not only neighbors, but people who were camping at Pedernales State Park. So we were sort of given conditions by the landowner to even have it this year, that if we didn't do certain things regarding sound or take that on as an issue, that he wasn't going to feel confident renting the land to us. So one of his, it was his idea. It was totally his idea to create that position. Um, that was one of the requirements of of his sort of Our like contract. yeah. He was like, you need a set, you need somebody who's in charge of dealing with it. He wanted it was his idea to have the pre-testing, the work weekends where we did sound testing. So a little bit of thanks goes to him because he, you know, we took it our own way and did did our own thing, but. Just the concept of even having that sort of came with the conditions, and it turned out to be. That actually ties in. So, uh, what, what was the process for keeping the sound manageable this year? Well, the process was a decibel limit. So that was pretty much the only technical process that we had. We had sound marshals on duty at all times. I guess uh, there was a little bit of a break from like six to ten or six to noon. We didn't have anybody. But there were sound marshals on site the whole time uh, with decibel meters. And so, and they just patrolled. So then kind of just a general like patrolling, keeping a watch on everything. And then, if the, and then um, me along with the, um, the marshals on duty had a radio. So if there were any complaints, we would be able to get over there quickly. But that was pretty much the only set. Like we had a shit, we had a marshal schedule. People had shifts. Um, and they had meters. That's pretty much the only. Uh, how about before the events? Like, how did you get set up to get this whole thing ready and operating? Well, I mean, it, it pretty much started with, pretty much started with the first work weekend. Um, with the first work weekend, we rented a system and put it on the back of a trailer, and we and we were completely blind at this point. We had no idea what we were doing, but we had a couple of sound meters, and our first idea was well what we had to discover first was if there was if there were other parts of the land that would be better 
for sound and for sound carrying because we felt that the upper field looking at it topographically that that's why it would have carried so well we looked at where the theme camps on the upper field were pointed last year and why that was a problem and so we just kind of took that system on the back of a trailer drove it all around the land and, and while we did that we had people in spot in place like one of them was on the uh, like backyard of one of the neighbors porch or on the back porch of one of the neighbors and we had another one like out in the uh, out in the park and then we had another one like up or up like up by the greeter station or where you enter yeah and then just kind of compiled data that day I mean that weekend that's pretty much all we could do. I remember seeing that trailer actually on the first weekend and thinking that it was like the, the kind of most cheap ass art car ever. Yeah. So. We had it, you know, we got the biggest system that we could rent at, on that weekend, but that wasn't comparable at all to what was going to be out there. Yeah. So we kind of figured, oops, we kind of figured out a few things, but we had to go back another weekend with the actual systems that the two of the biggest systems that we sort of predicted were going to be out there and we put those down in the in that uh, that lower area what was the sound ghetto this year we tried those because from the first weekend we kind of figured out that that is where it carried the least okay. so then we tried the loudest systems down in that set, section to sort of figure out what our decibel meter what the decibel limit was going to be that was the next step cool and uh and uh, uh, how did things go? I, I, I hear rumors. I hear, you know. Like at the actual event? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things were great. Completely flawless. Like uh, completely flawless. No complaint. Um, we got one call from one neighbor asking. She was concerned that we weren't having the festival this year because she couldn't hear anything. So it was, flaw it was absolutely flawless. I mean, people got over the limit, but anybody that was asked to turn it down did. Um, and there was never any complaint from anybody. So we never had to do Dev content. I can't believe how successful it was. Can you describe DEF CON 10? Because, you know, most people listening to this probably know, but maybe if you don't. And uh, I remember this was the concept when I heard it just freaked me the hell out. Mm -hmm. Well, luckily we never had to do it because it would have sucked. I mean, it would have been terrible. DEF CON 10 was another requirement from the conditions of use for the land. Um, he required that we set up a system so that if there was a complaint from the outside neighbors, that we'd be able to quiet it within 10 minutes. So DEFCON 10 just basically consisted of a plan of sound marshals and rangers working together to once DEFCON 10 had been established, it was like, get the word out, shut everybody down. And it was gonna be, it was like levels were gonna have to be cut by like three fourths, subs were gonna have to be cut, like it was gonna have to be quiet time. Um, so I'm glad that it never, that yeah. it never had to happen. I just imagine, like, yeah. And then after that, it was a gradual process of like every every ten minutes, raising the limit a little bit, coming back up to another level. But I was scared to death of DevCon 10 because if that happened, it was just then that was going to be an indication that it was going to happen from now on. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if DevCon 10 had happened on Thursday or Friday night, I mean, it just would have. A, everything Saturday, would have had Sunday. to have been quite, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, so it's like, I was just dreading it, but I never had to do it, I was so glad. Excellent. 
Yeah, so you had sound camps organized, and I understand you worked a lot with city placement in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, have you done lead positions before Flipside, or was this like um, the first out the gate? I've never even volunteered for anything at Flipside before. So this was, uh, I jumped right into it. But basically, um, when the conditions for, the news of the conditions for land use, when it first came, when it, or when, when the LLC and everybody first heard about it, they sort of announced, hey, we've got this thing and we're going to have to compile this sound policy. And anybody who's interested, you know, and especially anyone who is involved with sound camps, we would like you to be, you know, we're having this meeting. So, of course I went. And uh, because I, I, I showed up at that meeting mainly because at, at Flipside last year, I saw sound be such an issue. And my personal theme camp that was a pretty loud sound camp, I, we had to have rangers come to us and talk to us about sound. And um, one of my one of my performances even had to, even got uh, cut because of a sound issue. And so it just it affected me personally last year. And so I was like, hell yeah, I'm showing up to that meeting because I just had a, I had a million ideas of how it could be better. Um, you know, it was just that rangers didn't really know anything about it. They hadn't been trained on it. So anytime you had different rangers coming up to you at different times, telling you different things, there was no you know continuity, and in that environment, it's hard to know what you're really supposed to do, you know. Yeah. So I showed up at that meeting, and it was a big discussion, and uh, we really you know I think we made some good headway there, and you know then they were kind of like, well, is there anybody who wants to lead it up or anybody who wants to do it? And I was like, well, I guess I'm passionate enough about it. I guess I will, and so I did. I was scared to death at first, scared to death. I was like, what have I got myself into? But um, it ended up being great. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, it made me realize how everybody that I, that I had helping me, like there's so much knowledge, like so many kids that are in these theme camps that are, you know, the DJs, the musicians, the, the sound systems. There is so much knowledge there. I get blew my mind, like so much good, like, skill, you know, like knowing about sound, knowing about speakers, knowing about power, you know, I mean, I had every resource I could possibly think of, I had there to help me. And so once I realized that, I was able to like cool off a little bit. But at first it was like, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do? Because it was physics, sound vectors, the way, you know, the way, where the wind's going, the way sound carries, waves, stuff like that. I had no idea. No. Yeah, and sound is one of those things that the more you get into it, it, it like it suddenly go down the rabbit hole of like, oh my God, what's coming? Yeah. Yeah. And amazing at the same time. I mean, if you know, I mean, a little bit of this year's success, I have to take for luck. I mean, or just probability. Like some people who might have complained last year, maybe they just weren't around this year, or you know, there could have been some other factors for it being so successful, but. One way you can look at it is that just being deliberate, like just being deliberate with it and treating it as an issue, just it can help so much. I mean, like if it really did cause that much improvement, just yeah. taking the time to treat it like its own thing. So yeah, it's, it's amazing still. Your first burn was 2003, big right. burn. Uh -huh. uh, how did you get, uh, decide to go to that thing? Well, um, I had a friend in college who was into it, and then, um, so she started going in 99, and I could never go because I, I was an art student, 
And it was always the first week of school. Yeah. And so I could never go. And so the minute I graduated, like, uh, the minute I graduated college in Texas, the very next year we went. And um, out there is where I didn't, I kind of had heard about Flipside by then, but not really. I I'd heard about it once before, but, you know, had no idea how to get tickets or anything like that. And, um, but out, at, out there in Nevada, I met uh, the Wonder Lounge. Oh. And that's where I met a lot of kids from Austin. And that, that's how I found out about the uh, Flipside Burn. And I, I went to Flipside in 04. Flipside 04 was my first. Yeah. Excellent. So the monkey was your first effigy then? Right. Yes. Wait, okay, informal poll real quick here. Uh, so far, of all the Flipsides you've attended and everything, mm -hmm. what has been your favorite effigy? Mm. I think maybe the monkey. The monkey and the rocket ship, I mean, are a close tie, but I mean, the monkey, especially being the first one, just like, good lord. It's now, the heat of the rocket ship, I think, wins. And the distance I had to back up, you um, know. Yeah, it's funny because I think most people I've talked to, especially if, like, their first year was 2003, 2004, it's always the monkey. So um, it's like, people who came in 2006, amazing. 2007, maybe you know people who came in like 2003 or whatever they'll they'll have a whole bunch of different options but invariably for most people it's the monkey stuff mm -hmm. so it's kind of like the daft goal is to always beat the monkey <laughs> well it did have a lot of arms you know i yeah. mean and to have specific things on all those arms and yeah it was amazing it was amazing Cool. And so yeah, you went to go for them. Uh, have you been to the Big Burn? You go there regularly or? Every year. This year will be my sixth in a row. So yeah, and I haven't missed a flip side yet either. Nice. Not since I started. Tell me a little bit about your camp. Um, I am with the Winner's Circle. And we strive to award all winners, but to um, welcome and support all winners to remind those that may not know that they are winners, that they are winners. Um, we're definitely a music camp. We're a group of musicians, uh, mainly DJs. Uh, we have an awesome system. I think it's one of the richest, most highest quality systems I've heard for the, you know, for the bang. I really, I love it. Um, I love, you know, all the, all the music in our crew, everything that gets played. I think it's awesome. Um, but other than just playing music for people, you know, we uh, we give out blue ribbons. We try and give out trophies, awards. Um, you know, just to be to be general winners. Right. But it's not real huge. I mean, we don't offer we don't offer a lot of interactivity. I mean, we're still pretty young. But you know, we always have the system and the dance floor and the disco ball. What year did you start that actually? Um, two thousand. Trying to think. Well, when we all went in 2004, we were we were pretty much the winner's circle. But we didn't show up with a sound system until 2005. And that was the last year on at Rec Plant. Yeah. And that was the year I won Miss Flipside. So we were like right there on the creek. I gave out like Paps Blue Ribbons on behalf of the winner's circle. I was Miss Blue Ribbon. So that was 2005, yeah. that's that 2005 is when we showed up. And that was, that was with an old system. That's not the system we use now. That was a rented one in 2005. So six, seven, and eight was the system that we have now with the pretty much set group of DJs that we have now. So for the sound nerds in the crowd, what is your system you have now? Um, it's, oh my gosh. The specs you'll have to get from someone else. I always forget. 
but we got Sir and Vega subs, which I love. And then um, we had way too many turntables this year, I think. We had like eight, like eight played out, all these mixtures and stuff. It was a little much. It's like, I need more arms, quick. Yeah. And we had the, we had the subs a little too far apart this year too. It didn't really, didn't really create the space as much as I would, but that was because of the eight turntables, I think. Uh, we had it spread so far. I like when the number of turntables causes an extra amount of physical distance. Yeah. It's like, that's a problem. That was real. It really happened. I guess, I don't know, comparing yourself when you were the art student who was thinking about Burning Man, hearing about it from your friend versus the uh, person you are now, how, what kind of influence have these burn events had on you? Oh, I mean, I mean, it's been my school. You know, like, I mean, I was a, I was a performance and installation artist that that was pretty much what I focused on in school and so the last you know those five years consisted of big projects you know only like two or three projects per year with like a critique at the end you know like everyone you know like you're sort of like sort of like a presentation you know like here's yeah. my deal show it to your class everyone talks about it and uh, so that's pretty much how my mind was working when I got out of college and and getting right into Burning Man after that, I mean, it's just perfect. You know, I mean, it just like... It, Installation how, art? Burning Man? I know, you know? So getting into that right after was just like, my mind was set for it, my mind was ready for it, and it's it's done nothing but take that and build on it. That like working, you know, the work done in this off time, and, and it being leading up to this sort of like area of presentation, like... Right. Yeah, so I mean, it's just made, and every time you figure something new out, every time you get a little better at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I had tried to take on something like this, you know, having not had so many, you know, because I've, I've been to, I guess Flipside was my 11th burn. And it's like, yeah, I mean, each time, I've, you know, you try and do an art project, you try and get your camp right, you try and just get along with everybody, you try and get your, yeah. you know, try and not get sick or whatever. So yeah, definitely by the 11th burn, I mean, I, there were so many, there was so many things with just being out there that I'd already figured out that I was actually able to do a big volunteer position. Yeah. Like had, had this been the first or second time I'd burned and I was trying, you know, like if I'd just been some sound expert who didn't burn to come out there, I mean, hell no. Because there was just so much, I had so much flexibility because, you know, my food, my food, my water, my comfort, my downtime, all yeah. that. I didn't have to think about it. It's just so second nature, so that when it was like time to work, I didn't have any problem with it. Didn't feel like I lost a lot of free time, you know. And carrying a radio the whole time was really fun. <laughs> I can't That's right. I'm on call. I can't believe that I kept up with it. That is a miracle. What am I a whole vessel without losing that something tied to her hip? That is a miracle. It was meant to be. Yeah. So how how would you say has a uh attending burns and all that's affected your art um it's just made it great you know great and better uh i can't say i mean everything's different now like i don't really do installation sculpture anymore and i haven't done as many just like uh, i used to do just sort of like happening type performances you know like out in everyday life and stuff it's definitely honed my performances more to the stage, more to specific like musical and you know amp those sort of performances, right. you know. 
and I, I think you might be the only burner ever whose uh, art has been more focused on the stage after I know right well I think oh sorry so I think because getting into it when I did um, they're really and especially going out to the big burn like there really is so much saturation of art you know and of people doing performance art and like that's what everyone's doing out there and so I think I started noticing how out there on the stage you really do have to work even harder to 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 stand out and to capture that space because there is performance going on all around you. So I think that's where it went for me. All right. Here's a question I'd like to ask just to raise controversy. If you had to choose one, you could do Flipside or Burning Man. Um, if I had to choose one, I probably would give them both up because, because what I learn, like, what I cherish the most about what I learned on at Burning Man is almost always utilized at flip side and vice versa. And so I really don't think that I would, I don't think that I would ever, like, if, if I couldn't go to one, I, I might have to, like, not go to any of them. I say that. I say that. But just for realistic life, I mean, like, distance, you know, if something happened and I couldn't go to the, the, the big one in Nevada, uh -huh. it's just so easy to go to Flipside. You know, you, it's just so easy to go that you would never, like, if there's an excuse not to go there, there's really not an excuse not to go to Flipside. So, I mean, of course, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm sure Flipside will get the, the tail end of, yeah. of me, you know. Uh, and not just like in work you've created, but uh, on a more personal level, um, how would you say that these burn events, um, I don't know, would you say you, you're the same kind of person you would have probably been without going to them or? Oh no, no, I think that, I mean granted, you know, you can always say that you, you learn what you want to learn and you take in what you want to take in no matter what situation you go into, but I mean, the strength that I feel from the accomplishments and just from, you know, each time you, each time you make it, each time you survive, each time you do it well, you know, each, you know, when you're sitting, you know, that next burn that you, that you go to and you can think back to how you've improved, you know, I mean, I get a lot of personal pride in that and I see a lot of, I mean, yeah, I mean, I see a lot of what I have become on making those improvements, but not just that, I mean, just like the, the, the deepening of the friendships, the the sort of more I feel like I belong here you know like you feel like you belong like, with, with, with these people and in this place and you know I mean that shapes you know that shapes the amount of effort you're going to put into something in order to even get better at it too um, I think the way that I communicate has been affected the way that I live has been affected you know I mean by going out into that environment often you're constantly reevaluating what you do here, here in the real world, you know, and so, I mean, that's it's a, shaped a, every area. That's something I want to delve into just a little bit more. So, give an example of how something in the real world, as, as it were, has been affected by the whole flip side thing. Well, I mean, you know, if you, what I notice is the way, especially that first couple of months, that first, like, month when you've come back from Flipside or Burning Man, the way that you, the way that I notice how I talk to my coworkers differently. You know, I mean, after the way that you think of your, the way that you look at your neighbors, the way you feel, because I mean, at a burn, if you're standing next to, standing in line next to somebody waiting on the bathroom, you talk to them, easy. You know, you feel, you automatically feel like you're out here with me. We have all this in common, but you know, we have all this in common. We're friends. You know, 
But if you think of how normally in, the, in an everyday situation, how if you're standing in line waiting for the bathroom, you would never talk to that person. You know, you'd expect them to be annoyed by talking to you, you know, or sitting in a doctor's office, you don't talk to the person next to you. And um, so, yeah, like that first month when I come back from an event, I'm having to, I notice how I'm keeping myself from talking to that person, even though it feels so natural because I've been doing it for a week. You know, so that's probably what I notice, you know, what's the most just jumps out at me. Yeah, yeah, the way that I communicate with my coworkers, the way that I, the way that I want to dress, like it's so hard to wear a shirt. I mean, it's just, you know, you look at how, you look at how, you just see how everything in this, you know, life is different. It's just slightly different, you know. And then you kind of ask yourself, well, does it have to be? I mean, is that what I'm supposed to learn to do here? So, yes, I mean, it just, every time I go and come back, I just, I rethink everything. I re-see everything, you know. Excellent. Now, I've been looking at this tattoo. Uh-huh. Let's see, and, and, and this is a phrase that a lot of people, like, associate with you, and it was, it's kind of become a bit of a catchphrase. Fortunately, not one of the annoying ones. You know? No. But, uh, <laughs> but worth it. Uh, what's this all about? Worth it. Totally worth it. Um, a couple years ago, I, I, um sort of lobbied to have it be one of the themes. I went to the theme camp uh, presentation or whatever, the theme camp theme, or the the theme presentation meeting that we had, and I I read this poem about what worth it means to me and why it should be worth it this year. And uh, so, um, and plus I say it all the time. (laughs) So anybody, if it hasn't sunk, if I haven't gotten to you yet, you know, worth it, worth it, worth it, totally worth it. But... uh, (laughs) Um, but it's kind of it's kind of become a personal mantra for me, uh, a reminder that a reminder during the bad times that it's totally worth it because the good times are so awesome. You know, it reminds me of I've got it on a blue ribbon to remind me of all the burns that I've been to and of all the times of the winter circle that that I have memories of being just the happiest, most awesome times in my life and and you know reminding me like worth it because you know there's more good stuff like this to come and. And uh, so I have it tattooed facing me because I'm the one that seems to forget that a lot. You know, like I, I got, I'll, I can let myself get down in the dumps over something small or like, oh my gosh, this thing you have to do is gonna be so hard. You know, it's just a reminder to constantly ask myself, is it worth it? You know, and that can be both like, yes, it's worth it. Get up and do it. Or, you know, this really isn't worth it. Like, you know, that, that we, you know, that I have the control of what to put effort and energy into based on what you know if I think it's worth it or not so yeah totally worth it <laughs> fantastic uh now I understand you also uh out here in this whole real world thing uh do music and performances uh, mm-hmm. with uh Cherubic correct yeah Cherubic is my I husband that name right, like, yes. he did uh yeah he's my husband and partner we've been together like 10 years making music um we DJ like um we DJ separately a lot. Like, I'm DJ Watermelon, it's DJ Cherubic. We don't DJ together a whole lot. But uh, when we do, he he's a producer as well and does all kinds of, does all of our beats and stuff. And so he, um, he when we do that whole thing, we're Cherubic and Watermelon. Like, he does the beats and I do the live vocals and uh, sound effects and stuff like that. And, uh, now, and I also do a lot of burlesque stuff. I don't do it as much as I used to, but... Whenever Audrey's having a show, for sure I'm in there, and um, he usually does, he makes all the beats for that. But I try and be on stage as much as I can in any way, 
whether it be like spoken word or singing or dancing, I mean, anything really. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and actually, um, I wasn't able to research this, but in case you want to plug anything, if anything's going on like in the next month or so. Um, well, I, I'm now at Plush every Sunday. Um, so that's cool, and that's going to be starting this coming Sunday. So that's in like three days. So, um, and that goes from like 10 to 2, and every week will be a different time. Like sometimes I'll go on at 10, sometimes I'll go on at 1. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, just look at my, you know, go to MySpace is pretty much all I have right now. MySpace slash watermelon. But um, I've got some domains I just, I'm, we're getting up, like Cherubing and Watermelon, Watermelon. Um, Discotronics is the name of the night on Sunday. And we've got discotronics.com, but I haven't put anything up on it yet. Um, what else can I plug? That's actually it. That's actually all I got going on right now because of Burning Man. So yeah, true. true. It's a weekly gig. It's still a thing. Yeah, no, and that's actually really exciting. It's been a monthly gig for two years now. Coming on two years, we've been doing it every uh, first Sunday of the month, and we just just moved to every Sunday. So that's a big deal. It's pretty exciting. It's with DJ Ramsey and Boogie Monster. Yeah. I did just uh, to get to get the touch of controversy going on because uh-huh. I couldn't quite get you on the burning and flip side. <laughs> uh, I know you'll see in the community, like if you're on the Austin list or anything, there's the, the people talk a lot of shit about rapers. Uh-huh. Uh, and, I don't know. There's someone who does a lot of dance music and that kind of thing, and but people would call raper music, you know, whether that title's appropriate or not. What's your take on the whole, you know, the, the hostility? Um, you know, I think the hostility is really silly because ravers, uh, you know, the general consensus of that sort of attitude is that it's really not cool and it's pretty silly, you know? So, I mean, like, but I mean, like, that's just human nature. I mean, there's such a, anytime there, anytime there's a group of people that sort of, sort of try and radiate positivity and radiate, like childlikeness or you know I mean like a lot of people it annoys people and people some people can develop a violent attitude toward it like you know like punching a raver or whatever it's kind of like I mean you really shouldn't want to punch anybody much less you know much less you know that's sort of but even the concept raver is silly it's like hippie it's like you know it's just it's just old and outdated and you can't really can't really put anybody in that category anymore because there are no raves I mean George Bush made sure of that so Anybody who's a raver is like someone like, you know, my age or slightly older. People who actually went to raves back in the day, and uh, that's really the only people that you could actually call ravers. And even then, I mean, it's just kind of silly, I think. But I certainly, I certainly do, you know, if anybody that would have a, a negative attitude about someone who loves to dance and wear bright flashy clothes and wear blinkies and you know anybody who has a negative attitude about that I mean that's just silly so I mean you got to ask yourself what is it about the stereotype of the raver that makes people so upset and that I don't really know okay yeah I, I, I have my own theories about like creating a category that is other and then being able to project the negative things that probably exist with all of us onto the other yeah like stereotype salad <laughs> to uh, go with the wrap up here ooh we're doing good with content wrap it up alright uh well, I'd like to know is your, 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 you know, informed opinion, what does it take to be a rock star? My informed opinion, what does it take to be a rock star? Um, well, I mean, what does it take to be a rock star? That's a good question. 
I don't really, you know, I don't really know much about being a rock star, but I do know about being a winner. And um, all you have to do is be a winner. It's just tell yourself every day that you're a winner. That's usually it. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been excellent. Thank you for listening to Flipped Out. Flipped Out is a podcast about the art, the culture, and the madness of Austin, Texas, and its burn community. Flipped Out is hosted at lancehunter.net slash flip, and that's flip with one P. To contact Flipped Out, please email flippedout at gmail.com, and that's flipped out with two Ps. Once again, thank you for listening. Now go be spectacular. Spectacular.